Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Hest. And guys, two games over the course of four days this past week, both of them something we haven't seen from Inter-Miami before this season. Draws. Inter-Miami getting a draw against Austin FC on Saturday, following it up with a 2-2 spectacular draw, which saw them come back not once, but twice against the Columbus Crew to earn their second draw of the season. The winless streak gets up to now nine. However, the the games without scoring a point end at seven for this club that will head back on the road this weekend. Two more games before the break for the League's Cup and the introduction of Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets, and this newest signee where we begin today's show, guys. Yesterday reported uh, Wednesday or Thursday, excuse me, by uh, first reported by Michelle Kaufman of the Miami Herald that Jordi Alba will be joining Messi and Busquets here as the latest signing for Inter Miami, coming here on a TAM deal. That's the allocation money. He will not take up one of those three designated player spots. We'll get into how the designated player shuffle works here in just a sec. But Jordi Alba, 34 years old, a, a regular with Barcelona and Spain, and, and very much coming in with an exciting opportunity here with the loss of Franco Negri for the rest of the year should slot in right away uh, at left back for this team. And let's just start there, Alex. Where do you like this signing and how quickly can we see Jordi Alba make an impact for this squad? Um, Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And I think, um, well, I'm not going to say unlike Messi because if you're a team, you take Messi. But unlike Messi uh, and similarly to Busquets, I think uh, both Busquets and Alba are a position of need, especially after the injuries to uh, in the midfield anyway, John Mata and Gregory and now um, Franco Negri out for the season with a an ACL tear uh, with Frank, uh, with uh, Jordi Alba coming in now. It, it, it bolsters up that position that was you know, really down to, to Noah Allen and maybe Harvey Neville shifting over to left back. And, you know, we love uh, the homegrowns on this show, and, and Noah Allen's been playing very well, and, and we'll touch on that when we uh, kind of review the, the two draws a little bit. Yeah, I, I do. I like the signing a lot. I know he's on the older side, but, you know, you go to FB ref and look at his advanced stats. You know, he still had very good attacking numbers as a as an aging fullback in La Liga. You know, he played every single minute for Spain in, in the Nations League, I believe, and um, he still can um, be effective in the final third for um, for Miami once he gets here. So I think it's a, a smart signing, especially Ian. I think you and Austin will kind of get into the numbers later. That's not my 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 uh, area of expertise, but especially him coming on a, a TAM deal, you know, and now you get a, a really good attacking fullback. Maybe a little bit um, a lot of uh, maybe a little bit more defensively left to be had from him, but offensively, I think it'll help the team. Uh, quite a bit, you know, like I said, with Ned Gree out and, and Noah Allen uh, coming into his own now as sort of like a, a left center back now who, who where he's played pretty well, you know, in the absence of Kamal Miller at the, at the, the Gold Cup for Canada. So I think it's a, it was a smart move. You know, it, it reunites uh, Alba with uh, former teammates and it, it brings in an, an experienced, uh, an attacking fullback and um, something that will um, – kind of help Miami and Tata Martino kind of figure out where, what they want to play. You know, I, I, I think we'll get into that later, but the Alba would, would uh, be the ideal uh, left wing back, honestly, and with, especially with his attacking stats. So uh, kudos to Chris Henderson, the front office. And uh, I know we all know that they're not quite done with their uh, summer transfer business, uh, business window yet, uh, business yet, excuse me, but um, yeah, uh, Alba solid signing. I know there's a lot of controversy about, you know, should he be a DP or not, but We'll get into that later, but yeah, I do think it's a, a an overall positive signing. I don't have much to add there on top of any of that, Alex, other than the fact that, you know, when the rumors first came about with Jordi Alba and Franco Negri was healthy and Noah Allen was still the backup and Chris McVeigh could play there and Harvey Neville could play there, I was like, why are you bringing in another left back? Especially if there's other options out there for that kind of money. And then, you know, then with, with Negro, Negri going out, it's kind of like, okay, this makes even more sense than it did before. And now it makes the most sense considering Messi and Busquets are here. So 100%, I, I do agree that it is a good signing. It's a need, you know, a need for position, um, you know, a need for a name. 
to ha- link up those three guys is going to be obviously monumental, especially on their debut. So 100%, it makes sense all the way around, uh, even more so than it did, you know, a couple weeks ago when when Negri was was actually playing. Now that he's not 100%, you need Jordi Alba, and it could be huge, especially in the League's Cup. Guys, let, let's talk about the age, because that, that has to be a concern a little bit. 34 years old, 34 years old, and 36 years old, as we talk about these three players coming in. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the jokes of, a Barcelona retirement league, I'm sure, are not very difficult to make. These three guys coming in towards the tail end of their careers, all from one team. Uh, what, what do we make of, of that, I guess, commentary or criticism, given the history that this team has had with, you know, re- remembering what happened uh, with with um, Blaise Matuidi and, and that, you know, you can look on one end with that. You can also look at the other end of Gonzalo Higuain last year, towards the very end of his career and and the renaissance that he had with, with these three guys all you know on the wrong side of 30 but but several years removed from that what do we make of this coming in right now at this stage of their careers and their willingness to put in the the effort and the the intensity that MLS requires Yeah, I think um, for one, I, I I think this is different from the Matuidi thing because for context, when Matuidi came over uh, to Inter Miami, he was already sort of a role player for Juventus, and he wasn't a starter like Messi and 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 um and Busquets were for for Barcelona, PSG, and I know Alba started some and, and came off the bench, but um yeah, in comparison to Matuidi, he was sort of a role player for Juventus. He was playing at left back at one point and. And left mid, and he wasn't really, you know, playing as a as a midfielder. Where he eventually did play for Inter Miami, and and plus, uh, I know this is kind of stats nerdy type of thing, but you know, if you go onto a uh, Smarter Scouts uh, uh, Twitter page, which is a, an advanced an- analytical database that kind of breaks down players, and, and you type in Matuidi, and, and and you can see threads going back to 2021, basically where they explain that you know even before he, Matuidi got to MLS, he was already regressing as a player you know, hands down and, 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 you know, it wasn't a very wise signing from Miami. You know, he was regressing already. He was, uh, his defending, uh, uh, output was, was, uh, was weak and offensively he was kind of contributing nothing. So for Miami to sign him, it was just, uh, yeah, the wrong decision at the wrong time. Uh, Iguain, obviously he ended up, uh, turning it around in his latter stages of his inner Miami career, but Matuidi, he was already regressing when he got to inner Miami. He was, uh, yes, uh, uh, slower and older. And another point, I, I want to say that Matuidi, for the majority of his career, he, he kind of relied on his physicality. You know, he wasn't the technically best player on the ball. He, it was his work rate and speed and, and toughness that made him a valuable asset to PSG and Juventus and the French national team and his versatility. And then you compare it to a guy like Busquets, who, um, you know, he never relied on physicality or uh, speed or anything. So, you know, look at him. He's, what, 34, 35 now. And, you know, he was one of the better players on on Barcelona's uh, team uh, last season, you know, um, helping them win the uh, La Liga title. So I want to push back against sort of the age thing. I know Busquets, you know, a lot of these guys were were playing in the Champions League, not not six, well, maybe not Barcelona, but uh, they were playing a a Europa League Champions League, not what, six months ago and and, and in the World Cup as well. So um, they're still playing at a high level. I know Alba was coming off the bench here and there, but I think the Matuidi comparisons were, are, are a little bit not correct because some context was needed in regards to that. Matuidi was already regressing, but for Busquets and Messi, they're still they were still still are playing at a high level for PSG and Barcelona respectively. And Alba, he still has very good numbers for an attacking fullback. So I know age and will be a concern, obviously, with the travel and whatnot. And Miami's had this issue before with Iguain and Matuidi, but I, I do think this time they're going to be better prepared. And also they have a, a coach now with Tata Martino who knows the league and knows what these players are going to get into, and he can communicate that uh, freely to the three of them once they they do join. Well, and Austin, the, the thing that, that I want to touch on off of that, you know, Sergio Busquets, not just playing for the La Liga champions, he was captaining the team uh, at the end of the season there. And, and also in the in the matter of Jordi Alba, he also was captaining the, the Spain team that just won the Nations League. He, he played 90 minutes in the semifinal, played all 120 minutes in the final against Croatia. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that was the captain of Spain winning a, a major European trophy. Major, however you want to put that, 
the, these guys are, are not just playing. They're still captains for their sides. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of leadership there's been a lot of leadership questions within Miami for, for a long time coming uh, since the beginning, all the way to now, you obviously had the captain's armband under Phil Neville, like past four times in a season uh, or they had four captains at one point. Then they had eventually named Gregory and Gregory was the mainstay, but now in his absence, you have Campana wearing the armband. You had Joseph wearing the armband. You had Yedlin wearing the armband and his absence with the gold cup. So it was kind of just being thrown all over the place. And if you can get some mainstay, like mainstay leaders. I mean, I'm not to you know say that Gregory and Yedlin are not leaders at all, because I think that when Gregory's healthy and on the pitch, that's the person I want to have the armband. And I was very happy with that. And granted my Ecuadorian bias. Yes. I love seeing Campana with the armband, but I'm not looking at, to Campana as like the leader of the locker room, the leader of the team on the pitch. And you bring in a guy like Busquets, who's just that calm presence in midfield, who's able to dictate games. That's somebody I look for as a captain Messi, I mean, that the name speaks for itself. So having guys like that inserted into the lineup to not have any more questions about leadership and to bring a locker room together, especially with all of the changes that are coming because, you know, Javi Morales has talked about it and how, you know, he's just trying to keep these guys focused on what's ahead of them, the immediate future, rather than worrying about what's to, what's to come and the changes. It's going to take a mental toll on a lot of these guys, whether they're staying or whether they're going. And so to bring in a sense of stability leadership with a lot of these older veterans who still have a huge, huge, huge potential to contribute at a high level. I think it's going to be a massive positive for inter Miami. Let, let's talk about and get into a little bit of the nitty gritty in terms of how inter Miami is going to finance this or, or how it, you know, falls under the salary cap rules because there has been a lot of chatter, obviously with this inter Miami, I'll remind you every time is still in the final year of sanctions for violating the salary cap, having too many designated players on its roster in its inaugural season. So because of that, there always is that added pressure when you sign the world's greatest player in Lionel Messi, when he's bringing two of his friends over, one of which is not even going to be a, a uh, designated player. He's going to be on allocation money. We keep saying, Tam, it's general allocation money. It, it, your old habits die hard. Um, as they shift from TAM to GAM. Everything will wind up being GAM within a couple of years. That, with that point aside, um, you know, Jordi Alba in Michelle Kaufman's article reportedly was making $24 million. That's now down. He As an allocated money player, he can only make, I believe, 1.6 is the most he would possibly around be able to make, 1.6 and change, um, and then be able to, to buy that down. So when we start there, uh, you can already look at, at – where money, I guess, is being freed up in terms of Lionel Messi. Some of that is going to be evaluated in ownership stake in the club that will come later, um, which is still an interesting portion of this um, that, that according to what I've heard, is completely allowed. Um, I don't know if this is a tactic that other teams will take in the future, That like a rumor that happened with uh, New York City FC and uh, Neymar. That was a, a rumor that, that had come out recently. Uh, and perhaps this is a wave of the future for MLS. I think MLS would rather stay away from stuff like that. But, but looking at how Miami is going to be able to put this roster together, uh, it starts, we talked about this before, it starts with buying down Gregory. Uh, Rodolfo Pizarro had some very interesting comments post-match uh, against Columbus uh, about his future with the club. So that's where you make it probably work for the designated player aspect. But Austin, I guess I'll start with you on this. When you're mixing and matching these numbers, it's not difficult to see how Miami makes this work. They've traded for a lot of allocation money. They have over more than $3 million in allocation money from the Bryce Duke trade, from uh, Aime Mabika, from, uh, from from even Clement Diop. They got 125000 last year. And, and, you remember they they gave up less when they required uh, Alejandro Pozuelo. So uh, the Campana deal still has 2023 money in it as well. Uh, sorry, uh, Campana, Carranza. The Carranza deal still has uh, 2023 money in it. So, uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not hard to figure out where they're getting all this money from. But walk us through a little bit of, of how they can make this possible. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the first step is buying down Gregory, getting rid of his DP status and opening up a spot for either Messi or Busquets. And then, you know, the second one is another thing that Michelle Kaufman has also alluded to is a possible trade 
for Rodolfo Pizarro or a trade away for Rodolfo Pizarro. It's him going possibly to LA Galaxy. There's been a ton of rumors about that trade happening. If he gets freed up in any sort of way, whether it's within the league or with or outside of the league, if Rodolfo Pizarro is not on the roster and there's another team taking part of his salary, he won't have DP designation for Inter Miami. So immediately of your three DP, three DPs, two of them are gone. That's Messi and Busquets. Confirmed that something like that will have to happen. Um, as for Jordi Alba, you know, the $1.6 million salary, of course, is a huge pay cut and it's, you know, that's up to the player and to the agent and to the family and to Inter Miami on how they wanted to pay him. If they wanted to free up, free up a third DP spot, they could have bought down Campana, but I am kind of speculating in my own head that they're going to be reluctant to do so given that Campana as a young DP opens up that three possible U22 initiative kind of players and, and all of the mechanisms there. And one thing that I do want to mention as well, outside of all the allocation money that Inter Miami have acquired and are using to pay these kinds of players um, and, and buy down contracts and everything like that, which I think Chris Henderson has done a magnificent job. I think one, one big deal that you missed Ian was Lewis Morgan as well. He's getting oh, yeah. 2023 allocation money is coming in from that deal. I think half of it, I think it was, it was like a 50, 50 split, almost probably around 600 K in allocation money being, you know, allocated to this year. So there's that one as well. But all of these three players, Busquets, Messi, and Jordi Alba are coming on free transfers. That is something that people are not taking into account because in MLS, when there is a transfer fee, that money has to be amortized throughout the length of their deal as a budget charge. That doesn't have to happen when there's a free transfer. So for Jordi Alba, it's salary and salary alone. Now, if they had to buy him out of the contract for $10 million, sure, that'd be something different. But if they're going to acquire people outside of, or acquire players outside of any kind of transfer fee and only for free, then it doesn't matter. It's salary and salary only. And that's why you have all these other rumors about players who are about to be out of contract coming to Inter Miami because MLS isn't going to penalize them for signing a free agent because why would they? Why would they? And that's kind of the main point that people need to realize. They, I think a lot of, you know, fans and reporters and kind of anybody who just follows football in general will, will, you know, allocate a big money signing and they'll just combine it with, well, a big money signing. That means there's a big transfer fee and all that kind of stuff, but that's not happening here. All these players have come for free and Miami are only paying outside of Messi's ownership stake. Miami are only paying for their salaries and no other contract fees. That's it. So I think that that is a key keynote to have here, especially with any other additional signings that they'll have in the future. And, and I, you're 100% correct, because if they did have to pay a transfer fee for Jordi Alba, there probably is no way that they could do it without making him a designated player. And, and that leads me to, to a point. You, you speculated. I'll, I'll put a little more bones behind it. They do not want to buy down Campana, point blank, period. Any chance that they can do it. Uh, they, they don't want to. They want to invest in him in the future. They don't like the optics of buying him down. They think that that you know, makes his contract to him look less valuable, and they want him to feel good because they believe in him as a, as a striker. Um, and, and you've seen you know, them wanting to get him goal-scoring opportunities uh, like, like we saw him get a goal and an assist on, on Tuesday. Um, and so that, you know, and, and combined with the U22 initiative, which, if you don't know this, is a massive addition for teams to be able to sign younger, uh, higher-level talent that, that this team is going to need in, in the coming years, in these next two years at least, really, um, to, to be able to have that. Emerson Rodriguez right now, who's on loan, is one of the U22 initiative signings uh, that Inter-Miami has. So it allows you to pay a little bit more for younger guys, for higher-talented guys. They're linked with... Possibly, and this is another rumor, but linked with a, a guy in Argentina, younger center back that possibly would fall under this U22 initiative as well. I don't like to, to run in the rumor mill so much, but just to use that as an example, as, as someone who they would like to be uh, finding these higher level players. And you can't do that if you buy Campana down. You, you not only you know, have to waste the money. But also you lose all of those additional mechanisms. And Alex, when I, when I turn to you on it, that means, and you and I have talked about it at length, that the academy is going to wind up being so valuable. And, and they've wanted it to be. They, they've said from the start that they wanted the academy to supplement the main roster of these big stars. This is the time when you're really going to see that manifest itself. 
for all of the roller coasters of the first couple of years of this franchise, the fact that this is the blueprint to have Academy signed with big name, he doesn't get any bigger than Lionel Messi, this is the time to make that happen. Yeah, and it's so good, and I love how you mentioned the homegrown Ian. I've been, uh, we all have been super high on the academy, and and several of the players coming out of there. You know, you see Dr. Ruiz, Ben Hakramashki, Noah Allen, Edison Ascona, Ian Frey, now even Felipe Valencia, who was, I believe, still signed to the first team, but he's been with um, the U19s, winning trophies with them. They're all very great players who have a future with the team, and it's you know, unfortunately due to injuries, it's because a lot of them had had to. Uh, you know, step up super quickly, but you know, like guys like Ian Frey, Ben Hawk, Kramaski, and, and David Ruiz, they've taken their opportunities and ran with it. You know, all of them have been playing such, you know, such exceptionally good soccer and, and football. It, it, particularly Ian Frey the other night, we were him and Ben Hawk, Kramaski, we were singing both of their praises. You know, um, just seeing them, you know, uh, you know, from once, I'll start with uh, Kramaski, he was playing out of position as a right wing back, um, not his natural or, or comfortable position, but he played you know, well for uh, someone who was a midfielder by trade. And I, I believe he was even named to um, um, MLS team of the match date, match day, not week anymore. It's a weird thing, but he was named to MLS team of the match date um, alongside uh, Leo Campana and, and, and Joseph Martinez. So it just shows that the leaps and bounds that him, all three, all of the homegrowns, um, excuse me, that they, they've made this season that they're now getting recognized for their play on the field. And and Ian Frey, even, we were talking about in, in the, the hair and outlet group chat we have about how how good he is, especially coming after uh, coming off uh, uh, two ACL injuries. And I think the, these last two games against Austin and Columbus, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they're the first two full 90 minutes he's played in, in, in a while. And he, he looked great, you know, especially... I don't know if you guys remember, but like it was like the last like two minutes of the game, and and Columbus were making a break on the other side, and you know they they had their numbers. Uh, Columbus had number had a numbers advantage, and you know it looked like they were going to score. And Ian Frey shut that door so quickly. He just you know he threw out one of his long lanky legs and just stopped that counterattack. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Christian Ramirez or Cucho Hernandez dribbling, but, you know, he just stopped that counterattack from happening. And after that, he, he he stood up and pumped his fist like he was scoring a goal. And I love it when defenders do that because it shows they're, they're passionate about their job and, and and you know, just, you know, hype to to, to help out the team. So, it, and, it, and it shows all, all, all of the homegrowns, they play with such a passion and, and love for the team. And, it, and, and that's what Inter-Miami fans want. You know, they want passion for the team and they didn't necessarily get that, uh, in the first couple of seasons with some of these players they brought in. But now um, you see homegrown players playing for the shirt and whatnot. And back to the original point, I, I got off on a tangent. It, it's so helpful that they're playing well because they're on the supplemental roster and they're not, their cap, their, their cap hit isn't as much compared to, uh, I don't know, pick any player on the roster. So they're on the supplemental uh, slots and their, their, their cap hit will not be uh, harmful or help, you know, it won't hurt Miami's cap as much as some of the other players. So the fact that they're, they're getting good, meaningful minutes out of, you know, Ian Frey, Ben Hakamarski, David Ruiz, now Edison Ascona, and Noah Allen. Um, you know, you know, it just shows that that's what Inter Miami wanted to, to, to happen. They wanted their academy to flourish and, and do well. And, and now we're, we're seeing that all of these guys are, what, 18, 19, 20, and now they're they're heading into, uh, you know, a consistent period of their career now. And and it's just a joy to see because we, we all remember covering them for, for Fort Lauderdale CF and then CF2. Uh, um, and then, and then now they're up to the first team. So it's just really cool to see. And now they're, 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 they're what, a couple of weeks away from playing alongside some of the legends of the game. So it's just really pleasing to see. And it, it's helpful for Miami because like I said earlier, their, their cap hit isn't as much and they're getting a lot out of, you know, small cap hits. So, um, um, bravo to the Academy and Javi Morales, a big reason why a lot of these guys played under him. And now he's the interim head coach and you see them playing well. So. Um, yeah, it's just really cool to see, and it's advantageous for Miami's front office because um, they don't take a, a big salary cap hit. So just a good situation all around, really. And and you're going to hear us say this time and time and time and time again over the next couple of years, but the idea of Ben Hakramashki playing next to Leo Messi, I mean, for, for everything that, that people around this sport think Ben Hakramashki could be, uh, which is a, a very quality, very good uh, attacking midfielder, or at least a number eight at the very least, that will have to choose between Argentina and the United States national teams at one point. 
for him to play against or play with Lionel Messi and learn all of that uh, throughout this young stage of his career. I, I, you know, talk about someone who, who should benefit the most from this entire situation. Uh, it's a very exciting time for him. You had mentioned the, the supplemental roster, Alex. It's a very good point because with Ian Frey, the, the top 20 salaries are the only ones that count against your cap in MLS. So whoever are the 20 people that make the most money on your team, those are the ones that count. So your three DPs, maybe you have like five to, to seven or eight TAM players, GAM players, and then on down. And so that number right now cuts off before you even get to Ian Frey, who's a little more than 100 grand this year. So so Ian Frey, uh, Kermeshki, David Ruiz, uh, you know, all these guys do not count at all against the cap. Forget about the fact that they're also homegrown players, which don't count against the cap too. Uh, so So they are absolutely beyond valuable right now. Huge assets for this team. Huge assets for Miami, too. Not necessarily tradable assets, but valuable assets for the club currently to be getting all these minutes. Now, I bring up trades, Austin, because I had mentioned earlier, Pizarro with some interesting comments earlier this week, uh, saying that that he didn't know that that you could get traded inside of MLS. And reports are that LA Galaxy are interested in trading him. He said that he thinks that it's the only league in the world where, where that's possible. He might be right, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, but but to, to, to understand that MLS does have interesting rules and in, in, in Americanized rules in the fact that there is intra-league trading, that you can trade for one player that has a contract with Inter-Miami to another club. Yes, it's very rare uh, in global soccer. So with that and with the reporting of it, what do you make of Pizarro's comments? And and the likelihood that this is, you know, the, the last hurrah that we've seen with him on Inter-Miami. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the squad, the na- whoever is named to the squad on Saturday will be very telling. Um, I don't know if Pizarro will be there at the time of recording. It is Friday and no other news outside of um, that actual interview that he had post-match on July 4th. And the trade speculation around LA Galaxy. Nothing else has come out. Nothing has been set in stone. So we'll see whether he's on the roster or not under Javi Morales' probably final game against DC on Saturday. Um, But what do I make of it? I mean, look, Pizarro has a, you know, he's going to be tied to this club forever. The first DP, the first goal scorer, the first big name to come on over. Um, And, you know, the the way everything went down is a little unfortunate. It's obviously not you know, something that all parties would have wanted. It could have been a lot more positive, but it also could have been a lot worse at the same time. And I think now with the trajectory that the club is headed, it's kind of just like, yeah, we have to cut our losses and make sure that we are able to grow and succeed as a franchise. And Pizarro being on this roster would hold us back to a certain point that we cannot let happen. And I think that that's why he's being let go. We had talked about it so much in preseason. We didn't even think Pizarro would make it this far as a DP on this roster. We we thought he'd be gone in preseason. So the fact that he's made it this far and, you know, the, the uh, comments that the front office and Phil Neville when he was there had about Rodolfo Pizarro and the attitude and about how he was a new, fresh player and just so, you know, he had such an inviting presence and everything like that and players were looking up to him, you know, it spoke a lot to his turnaround. And I think that, again, it's an unfortunate ending, but it's an ending that needs to happen. And I think a trade within the league makes sense. If Miami can get something back for him, even if it's something minor, go ahead and take it. Because for the most part, this is a salary and DP designation dump. That's exactly what this is going to be. So you're not going to be able to get much for him anyway. And for his comments about, you know, trades within global soccer, no, it doesn't normally happen. Um, The contract that you're under with one club doesn't normally transfer over to the contract for another club, whether it's in the same league or in in a different country. That doesn't normally happen. It's normally a buyout process. They pay a transfer fee. You come over and you sign a new deal. If anybody's ever played like FIFA career mode, that is the baseline example of how things happen. You, You have to buy a player and you sign them for a new contract. That is not exactly how it works, but for the most part, that's kind of how it works. And within MLS and I guess American sports in general, trading a player under the same contract from club to club or franchise to franchise 
is not something that's a world known thing and it is an MLS and sometimes players don't even get a choice as to where they get to end up. And that's also something that's not necessarily normal in global football either. A lot of the time the player has to have a say in where they're going to end up going. And now, you know, Pizarro doesn't really have that because he's under contract and he's within the league. Could you imagine if we had a Damian Lillard situation with Ronaldo Pizarro right now? If, if oh, what's no, going on? Oh my there? goodness! I was actually thinking about that. I was like, uh, "Can you imagine if Pizarro was like, I want to go to Real Salt Lake and Real Salt Lake only?" Then, I mean, what does Miami do? I, you're yeah, just like, kind of, <laughs> yeah. Just, oh man. Oh boy. But yeah. yeah, I I think on Pizarro's point, I agree that it is a little unfair but you know uh i don't know miami wouldn't be in the situation had he just played better <laughs> i'm sure like if he was a, a, a high contributing uh, player they would have fought to kind of squeeze him in the roster kind of like how they were trying to do with pozuelo but you know that unfortunately just couldn't have happened uh you know and because you know Messi was coming and you know adding pozuelo was just kind of overkill but um yeah i agree with him uh trades uh, I do feel bad for the players, but if I recall correctly, I think Joseph Martinez, uh, when he was at Atlanta, had a no-trade clause. So he kind of just had to, you know, he got to pick um, where he wanted to land. And obviously Miami was the the choice for him. But going back to my original point, had Pizarro just, you know, played up to the expectations the club had, you know, they... And that sounds harsh, but maybe they he would have been in the plans. And, you know, I, I don't know, but like, uh, yeah, but, you know... When he first came to the team, I, I know everyone was so excited. He was the first, the club's first ever DP. He scored the club's first ever goal. And, you know, that iconic Joker celebration, you know, it, it seemed like better times. <laughs> not not better times, but, like, it's crazy how it's nearly been five years already. But, um, yeah, it's unfortunate the way it ended. But, um, you know, on, you know, Miami needs to move some, some players around in order to fit these three huge incoming players. And, uh, Pizarro is the one that, that gets the axe and, and you know um, reports are saying that you know he may end up with the LA Galaxy which could be a really good fit for him you know I, I don't know if you guys uh, watched uh, uh, El Trafico the other day you know the Galaxy were playing some really free uh, uh fluid football and I think he, he could kind of slot in there with what Greg Vanny is doing and alongside Ricky Puig and, and, and you know Gaston Brugman and, and Tyler Boyd and some of these other really uh, technically good players. I think he'll fit in really well there and if it comes to fruition. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate. And I do agree that, you know, trades within the league are a little unfair to the player. But at the same time, uh, Rodolfo could have just asked his agent, you know, what was in his contract, his MLS contract. When you sign with MLS, you know, any player could be traded. But, you know, usually DPs that play well, they normally don't get traded. So, um, yeah, it's unfortunate for, for Pizarro, but, you know, that's the nature of the business. And, um, you know, hopefully I will, if he does go to the Galaxy, I will be watching him and seeing if he if he does well. I think he could fit in really well there and help the Galaxy as a, uh, I, I believe they do have a transfer ban, uh, trans, transfer ban during the summer. So, uh, obviously, I think they're going to be looking within the league to, to kind of get players instead of internationally. I think it's an, an international transfer ban. I have to double check that, but. Um, yeah, I'll be interested interested to see how Pizarro gets on over there. And yeah, it's just the nature of the business. And yeah, it's unfortunate. But um, yeah, I, I, my, the words fail me right now. But you know, it is what it is. And you know, they got to open up DP spots somehow. I mean, I feel sometimes like I'm taking crazy pills when I'm having this conversation on, on Rodolfo Pizarro. Because <laughs> like, Monterey didn't want him either. He, he was loaned to Monterey. Yeah. They had an option to buy. They chose not to. You know, we had this whole conversation, like Austin, you had mentioned uh, to start this, that at the beginning of the season, we were surprised that he came back in the first place. And you could make the argument that that's the reason that Alejandro Pozuelo could not re-sign with Inter-Miami because they really had to pick one or the other. And they, they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a choice in the end because Pizarro just said, hey, I'm back. And that really decided the choice for them. Uh, this has never been a good contract. He's never outperformed his contract. He's never performed really to a designated player status, both with the team and when he's been on loan. I, I guess, like, I was having this conversation with a couple of fans walking around after the game on Tuesday. And, and I, you know, just said, they said, oh, yeah, this was one of Pizarro's best games for the club. It's so good to see him. And I, I just I asked point blank, like, what was it that you saw 
that that makes you say that. And the one thing they pointed to was his endurance. And I just, I, I was just like, what? Because if the one thing that you're pointing to is that the professional is able to do his job for the length of time of a professional match, I like, I'm sorry if I'm being too harsh here, but that, that seems a little ridiculous. <laughs> that is the standard as low for a designated player. He's, he's one of the highest paid right? players like, in the league, in the league yeah. that, that to be, uh, to be judged on. Yeah. He was still running at the end of the game. I mean, just feels like a very low bar that, that we're crossing here. And honestly, when, when it comes to what they're making now, I, I would have loved to see them been able to make this move in the off season and Monterey buy mm-hmm. that contract or, or however you would have done it. I will put out the crazy hypothetical what would you have done if Pozuelo was here because it would be much more difficult to get rid of him uh, if, if he was under a designated player contract you'd have a lot more difficult situations luckily that's not the case and they can just like you said dump a designated player contract but it, it seems a little like nonsensical to me that he is I guess confused or outraged that, that they want to move him out of here when it's never worked. It's never been good. It's never even been worth the contract. And, you know, wish the guy well. Like, the, everybody that that talks about him from Mexico, like, and the national team there says, well, they'd like to see more of him. That's fine. I've seen enough. I, I have definitely seen enough. And I, I just think it's time to move on. The sooner, better than than later. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that we're all in agreement that it would be more beneficial for this to have happened in the preseason. I mean, it, it just, it would have. I, I don't think Pizarro has really added much to this roster in terms of their results. I don't think that he's had this sort of efficiency on offense that's translated into Miami winning points. I think his one assist or one goal contribution this year was because one. the ball got flicked off of someone. He, he It was a misplaced pass that got into quarantine, John, who shot it from outside the box in the second game of the season. That so was an assist. That's, that's and, and, look, and go back and watch that episode, Austin, <laughs> and how much we're praising him. Everything's going right for Rodolfo Pizarro. And 14 yeah. matches this year, zero goals. 47 matches yeah. in his previous run with Miami. Seven goals. He's played 61 matches for this club and has seven goals. I mean, it's insane to me. It's it's not yeah, yeah. for somebody for somebody making over three million dollars. Bad return. It doesn't make sense. There the valuation is not there. There is no it's it's just not there. And I think that a lot of the you know the, the talks about Pizarro is is now it's because it's getting like uh, you're you're reminiscing on the past four years of the club and where they've been, and knowing that he's leaving is more of like a comfort thing. Other than that, because if you're telling all these fans in like some that you talk to or anybody else that's you know within the 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 fan base and saying, "Hey, Pizarro has to be here for the rest of the year, and you don't get to sign Messi or Busquets," they're going to be outraged. But now that they know. Now that they know Pizarro is leaving, it's kind of nice to look back and say, you know, this was our first big name player, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, when you really think about it, you kind of screwed them over for quite some time because Miami were not a successful organization in the last four years on the field. And a large part of that is to using a designated player spot on Rodolfo Pizarro, who's never had a good return in a season. Uh, we, didn't have, we had to get rid of him. The one time that they made the top playoff picture, like not with an extended playoff, like a normalized playoff. He was in in Mexico. When he was loaned out. (laughs) Do I I mean, it's... (laughs) No, that's it. No, that's it. And you're 100% right. You're 100% right. I mean, the return on investment is completely... I mean, it's negative. It, it has to be. And you think about some of the other guys that are on the roster making so much less money or other guys who have been on the roster who have made so much less money than Pizarro. One name that jumps out to me is Lewis Morgan. Even on his restructured deal when he came out, still had over seven goal contributions in the 50 games that he played. And they got a $1.5 million allocation money return when they traded him away. And for Pizarro, to think that they're going to get a million dollars in allocation money is an absolute joke. They're not going to get anything close to that. It just doesn't 
yeah, it's nice to look back, but also be real about this and think about the future that's to come. It has to happen. Don't be too sad about it because the future is a lot brighter than it is than it was with Pizarro on the roster. Simple well, as that. Just you, you make a, a, a good point there because Lewis Morgan, another person who the, the previous regimes, let's go back all the way to the beginning, didn't really get along with, and that's probably what led to his being traded and still contributed, still was that Swiss Army knife playing a bunch of different positions for the team before the end, was willing to contribute as much as possible, and then got traded within the league. Pizarro is almost the exact opposite. He has only been able to play this very specific style, has under-contributed compared to his contract, and now seemingly just wants to pick where he goes and and no one else does. I I, I know I'm being too harsh, and I don't want to like kick it on the way out or, or whatever, and I feel like I've been fairly consistent in 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 wanting more from Rodolfo Pizarro. I think that he's a quality player. I think that he vastly has underperformed this contract. And if you are playing in a salary-capped league, that's the most important thing. How much are you being paid compared to how much are you contributing to your team's success? And and that, in those two instances, the, the biggest person in the, really, outside of Matuidi, in the history of the club, that has been paid more compared to contributing less is Rodolfo Pizarro. There isn't really another example of someone who where the disconnect is that large. Let's go as we transition. We've done a lot of the player player movements because as we talk about these moves that are expected to happen between now and July 21st, when Inter-Miami will start the League's Cup against Cruz Azul Friday night, at Drive Pink Stadium, they will host both those games. Uh, a reminder that the last home, or the last game of the group stage between Atlanta and Cruz Azul, that game's going to be played in Atlanta. It's kind of a, a unique trick that Atlanta gets out of it. It won't be played at Drive Pink Stadium, um, and, and so you'll have to watch that game on MLS League Pass uh, if you want to catch it. That the final, uh, the top two teams in the group will advance. So only one team will get eliminated from the group of Cruz Azul, Inter Miami, and Atlanta United. So as we get ready for that, there are still these two games on the road, D.C. United this weekend, and then following the week, the the first ever trip to St. Louis, a team that in their inaugural season is just lighting up the Western Conference. A much weaker Western Conference than the East this year, uh, but still find themselves tops of the West. And we're looking at these two games. Let's first look back on the previous two and how they eked out those draws. I want to focus more on Columbus because I think you can get more out of it especially going down not once but twice, getting the goals from Leo Campana and Joseph. Th- those are the guys that you need to see. Alex, when, when you're looking for any sort of momentum, I had said that I thought you needed four points out of this out of these two games in order to just keep some breathing room in, in the playoff picture. You get two. Is that enough? That, can you get something out of this and, and hopefully catapult you into a weekend against D.C. United? Um, yeah, I think um, the, the draw against Columbus was a super good one, and I, I, I'm really intrigued about how the young players are going to continue these, uh, the, 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 I don't know, congested schedule. I, I think it's going to uh, kind of hinge on them. I know uh, D.C. away is a, a a tough one, but still, especially with Intermommy's form. Yeah, so D.C. away, I don't know. I, I do think the the you know, the fact that Miami are drawing games now, it's it's uh, helpful for them if they want to climb the table once, you know, the roster is settled and, and done. But, um, yeah, DC away, um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, this season Miami has been so Jekyll and Hyde sometimes, but um, I think their, their recent run of form will, will do them a lot of good as they go on the road. They've never been historically. They've never been a good road team. So um, I'm super curious to see how they're going to, to handle this um uh, decent, really decent. Uh, DC United side. I'm I'm looking at their, at uh, the table now. I think they're sitting what, uh, in a comfortable playoff position. And under Wayne Rooney, they've done super well. And and now I'm uh, you know, and impressed about how they were able to turn around. Yeah, they're eighth in the East. So um, yeah, I think you know if Miami were going to get any points, you don't want to do it against uh, you know, sort of the like seventh through like nine ninth teams in, in on the Eastern Conference standings because those are the teams you're going to be fighting for if Miami are able to get into the playoff positions. Those are the teams you're going to be fighting for at the end of the season, um, scrapping to make the playoffs. Those, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 
you know, they're currently 15th right now, and they're, what, 10 points uh, behind uh, CF Montreal, who's sitting at uh, ninth place. So, um, yeah, I think a result against DC will do them a world of good. You know, another point doesn't hurt. Uh, but, you know, if it's possible, maybe get that win. I know uh, we saw a lot of videos from Miami practice. Uh, Tata Martino it has gotten his visa, and he's, uh, you know, working. Well, not he's not taking the touchline, but he's, you know, been kind of overseeing practice. Javi Morales will be, uh, uh, you know, that's his last game before Tata officially takes over. But I'm sure Tata has put uh, has been in communications with Javi, and, and they've kind of sorted out. Uh, maybe he's given him some advice and sorted out a game plan of what, they both want to see, you know, Ian, if I recall correctly, you reported that Javi Morales may stay on the coaching staff with Tata Martino, Tata Martino anyway, so that's cool for him. But yeah, DC away will be difficult, but I think that, you know, at come the end of the year when they're fighting for playoff spots, uh, you know, DC will probably be, probably be one of those teams that, you know, Miami wishes, uh, hopefully this weekend, wishes that they could get a, a result against if they manage to win or draw. So yes, this game will be important for for. For, from my perspective, I, I think the two draws against Austin and, and Columbus uh, did them a world of good. So now maybe they can use that platform to go on and, and push for a win and hopefully get their first win since, you know, I don't know when, but, you know, a, a win is definitely uh, something that is uh, needed to kind of help continue to kickstart this season. Yeah, for any Inter-Miami fan hoping for a result, just fingers crossed, Tyler Miller starts for D.C., that's uh that's 100% something you got to hope for. I know Bono Miller. started. Yeah, all-star Tyler Miller, who got benched, by the way, by Wayne Rooney after also being in, Wayne Rooney's coach's also choice. Also in the skills competition, Tyler Miller, in the MLS all-star skills awesome. competition. Really? Yeah. That's what? great. Um, oh, yeah, man. he got benched, and then Bono put on a man-of-the-match clean sheet performance and got into the team of the match, Dave, for MLS in that same week with Campana and Joseph and Kromeshki. So um, I don't know what's going to happen at goalkeeper for DC United, but if Tyler Miller's there, I think this is my great analysis. If Tyler Miller's in goal, into Miami's chances get a lot higher to win the match. Well, you know, it is interesting. If this winds up being Javi Morales' last game is in, as in charge uh, on the touchline, uh, he, he will be staying as an assistant coach uh, under Tata Martino. But we, I, I would think it's, it's fair to guess that this probably is. I, get, I take you back a, a little more than a month ago. D.C. United at home was Javi Morales' first game in charge after Phil Neville was let go. Uh, that, that was his first game, the 2-1 loss. That really was, was destroyed by that Kamal Miller red early on in the seventh minute, um, which, which took out uh, uh, any, any hope for Miami. They really bunkered in. But they bunkered in well for 75 I mean. DC United didn't score until late, and they got two goals, um, that, that Christian Menteke one really being the dagger in the 90th minute. Ian Frey then had that wonder strike to make it 2-1, if you remember that. Um, and, and he had that very nice uh, goal celebration, almost rivaled by his uh, his celebration against Columbus, Alex, for, for that clearance. Uh, but, yeah, so for, for this to be sort of the, the bookend of it, Javi Morales will actually get the, the two cracks at DC United this year. It won't be a game for Phil Neville or it won't be a game for Tata Martino. Uh, they'll, they'll be kind of condensed into this, this little uh, part here. I, I look at it as an opportunity to surprise people. I, I think that the way that I had, had sort of looked at these last five games before Messi and Busquets and company all come, uh, that, that, that people aren't expecting anything from Miami. That, that if they were to get anything of quality – uh, that, that that would be a home run. But the fact that, that they did look actually pretty good against Austin and Columbus, um, you know, gives, gives me some reason for hope. And I think when you go into a DC United here that has their own distractions just trying to get to the All-Star break, right? I mean, talk about what's going on all around that club with the All-Star game and Arsenal coming and the preparations that come on with that. They have their own drama to deal with right now. So I look at this as a time that maybe DC United is sleepwalking into this. Don't forget also, as, as you know, they are nine points behind Montreal for, uh, for, for ninth place in the Eastern Conference. A, a little bit further down, though, a team like, uh, like uh, NYCFC, they might be eight points behind them right now, but they have two games in hand. They have a lot of games in hand against their Eastern Conference rivals. I mean, they're only two points behind Toronto, another two games in hand. So they can literally just draw the next two. And, and they'll be not last in the Eastern Conference, right? So 
um, they're, they're in, a, in a position to get some unexpected points here. I do think that they need at least one win in these two, just simply because you have to, you have to keep it, you know, within rubber band distance. If it snaps, you're not going to get, you're not, I mean, Messi could win every single game in those final 12 and you're just not going to have enough points to, to be able to reel back teams to, to get into a, an actual playoff position. So that's where I look to, to hopefully, Alex, maybe this is like a sleepwalking game. Maybe St. Louis is, is feeling overconfident next week uh, against the first time that Tots is going to manage. Something like that to try and get points in these, in these two games before the entire world changes. Yeah, and that, you know, Messi Busquets elbow, they're just looming in the background. And it seems like <laughs> Miami have been, I don't know, what, just sleepwalking the last month and a half, just waiting for, for you know, everything to change. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I would like to see Miami, I don't know, they're, they're not, they've never been a good away team. So I struggle to think that maybe they can put on a good performance, but maybe if we, you know, maybe if they continue to do what they're doing against Austin, against the crew, uh, you know, maybe they can eke out another point, you know. And um, I don't know, D.C. away has always been a weird game for Miami. I remember, I don't know, last season where, you know, uh, I think it was like a 2-2 draw where I, I, I don't know what game. I think it was the, the game, unfortunately, where uh, Taxi Fontas allegedly, uh, you know, said a slur to Damian Lowe. I think it was that game where they, they drew it 2-2, I believe, but... Games against DC have always been so hot and cold for Miami, so I'm, I'm hoping this could be one of those uh, hotter games for them. But um, regardless of what happens, I know Javi Morales is, uh, you know, he, he is very uh, strict in, in what he wants. And, you know, all the all 11 players will, will give it their all. The home grounds will, will play to their best ability. And at the end of the day, you know, I think Miami's at a point where they have to, they, they have to um, you know, pl- pl- you know, win ugly, you know, play poor, maybe not play their best but win by playing ugly and you know it doesn't have to be the most complete performance they just need to just scrap out a you know three points i think these last two draws will give them the confidence and and you know like austin said maybe tyler miller starts and you know you don't know you just maybe he'll have a, a howler or something and then miami can you know put on their best defensive perf- performance to, to keep all three points you never know what's mls and it's just a crazy league I don't think everyone uh, against the crew, everyone believed that Miami were, you know, they were going to get smacked at 4-0, but they put on a really respectable uh, performance. So similarly, I, I think the game against DC will, will be the same. And um, like you said, Austin, maybe Tyler Miller starts and something happens. But at the end of the day, I think they just need to play ugly and, and try to find a way to win. If not, you know, can, you know, just eke out another draw and just not lose at this point, the, the bleeding has to stop and you saw with those last two games where they got two consecutive draws so um you know if they can't win just play not to lose but you know if they're, they're trying to get a win just play ugly and you know scrap out as many um you know just scrap out a, a, a you know a nasty win if that's possible you know Miami's never been a, a good uh away side so you know a, a win against DC will we'll, like you said Ian will we'll just give you know a, a lot of eyes on this game before Messi and the and company come but you know, you know, just you gotta win, really, if that's possible. If not, you know, another draw will 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 be good. Uh, yeah, it will, it will be good. And guys, as we talk about bookended times and chapters in Inter Miami careers, of course, if this is Rodolfo Pizarro's last game for Inter Miami this weekend, what was the the first goal that was scored in Inter Miami history by Rodolfo Pizarro? Where was it scored? At DC United, so that would be a, an interesting way of a game that also featured a uh, a red card from a center back with uh, Roman Torres got a, a red card in there. So lot lot of lot of bookends here, guys. Before we go, that the- game uh, that game was ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that game was just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I still remember I was there for that game, and I, I, that game was so like the whole red card debacle. Like when you're sitting in the stands for that game. Nobody had any idea what was going on. They did not signal to a VAR review. No idea there was a handball in play. And then, then Roman Torres is walking off the pitch, and you're just like, excuse me, what? It made no sense. No sense. And literally honestly, right after that game, like the world handball. ended. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That 2020 yeah, season. Yeah, that's true. Like on my flight home is what ended. Crazy yeah. season. Wow. It's been that so, long. Yeah, good anyway, times. <laughs> 
It's been a ride. It's been a ride. Uh, guys, I, I do want to end with, with the Gold Cup real quickly because uh, Sunday will feature USA versus Canada. Now, that obviously being a wonderful matchup uh, in and of itself, a, a you know rematch of the CONCACAF Nations League final that we just saw, obviously with very different rosters for both countries. Uh, but it does present the, the, the idea that Kamal Miller has been starting for Canada in this tournament. DeAndre Yedlin's played for the United States as well. Um, that you're guaranteed with them playing each other that one of those teams is going to get knocked out on Sunday. That means that if it's Canada, Kamal Miller will be back for the St. Louis game. If it's the United States, DeAndre Yedlin will be back for the St. Louis game. So regardless, you, you are now featuring uh, getting one of those guys back sooner than later. Look, I guess we, we could talk about the head-to-head matchup if you want or the value of, of more importantly probably as we look to Inter-Miami and, and their their campaign uh, and their season, uh, the importance of getting one of those guys back sooner rather than later, pre-Messi, Busquets, etc. I think Yedlin probably makes the most sense. Um, I've loved. Wow, come on, the you can't Chris... have the USA lose. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, no, no, I'm talking about in the Inter Miami's in Inter Miami's perspective. Yedlin, you know, you'd want Inter Miami to have Yedlin more than you want Kamal Miller. From my perspective, I obviously want the United States to beat Canada. So getting Kamal back would be great too. I think it's kind of a win-win for Inter Miami. Um, but I, I was going to say, I think Ian Frey and you know Sergey Kristoff have played great alongside each other and if they're going to switch to i don't know exactly what tata martina is going to play um you guys can probably help me out a little bit with that i don't know where he's going to go but if he goes four at the back i'm not upset about kristoff and ian frey playing alongside each other in in a four-man formation i think that would be awesome um, but if kamal miller comes in there obviously again it heightens the experience and the level there too so I think it's a win-win. Uh, um, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, also, I, I should mention, too, Phil Neville's on the coaching staff for Canada. So that, that's another thing. Yedlin versus versus Phil Neville. That's that's another one you can add on to there. And Phil Neville's still getting to coach one of the best trades that he's ever made, getting in Kamal Miller into Miami. He's getting the coach for Canada. So that's another noteworthy thing, too. Um, but, yeah, I want the USA to win, but I also think Yedlin makes the most sense for into Miami. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I, Ian Frey's been playing so well that I, I don't. Uh, it's gonna, you know, Kamal Miller's such a great player. If if you know, uh, if Canada loses, and you know, Miller will be back, and you know, you know, I don't want to see Ian Frey drop to the bench because he's just been playing so well. But I will understand it. But still, you know, even then, even Ian Frey could play in midfield and 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 maybe you know just play as that um, that third center back anyway. If they they continue though with that back three, if Tata Martino does, but. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game, regardless. The U.S., you know, admittedly, you know, they're 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 bringing in a lot of uh, non-European players, a lot of MLS players. Similarly to Canada, you know, you don't see the Alfonso Davis, uh, Davis, Alfonso Davis is of the world. Uh, Jonathan David, uh, Kyle Laren, they're they're not with uh, the Canada uh, Gold Cup squad. So yeah, I think it'll be a, an interesting game. I'm giving the U.S. a slight edge because Canada have not looked. Uh, good in this tournament and and uh, you know usually they, they play better but yeah Canada have not looked good so I'm giving the edge to the U.S. and I, I do think Yedlin will probably continue his uh his uh, uh stay with the U.S. and I think Miller will, will be back for Inter Miami sooner rather than later. And, and regardless the, the semifinals will be played on Wednesday so should either you know USA or Canada if they play the semifinals on Wednesday and and fall there. I think that's unlikely because they'll play the winner of Panama versus Qatar. I would say that that this game is going to be better than the semifinal probably should be on paper. Although Panama's Panama's played pretty well this tournament. Um that 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 the semifinal would technically be in time for St. Louis, I think unlikely. Um and then after that the final is that Sunday the 16th. So regardless, both players will be back to start the league's cup on july 21st guys it is a very busy time throughout mls and throughout the history of inter miami this is one time that i'm sure none of us will ever forget uh it is seemingly every single day there is crazy breaking news make sure you follow us on all of our socials all over the place whether it's twitter whether it's instagram whether it's tiktok whether it's uh um twitch youtube subscribe to the youtube channel as always like share rate comment we love all of that stuff and subscriptions 
And now, if we couldn't have enough, we have another one. Join us on Threads. We have a Heron Outlet Threads account uh, to, to be a part of. So you can join us there as well as wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Play, uh, Google Podcasts, or on YouTube Music. You can catch us a million different places. And you can always read us on our Substack, theheronoutlet.substack.com. An unbelievable uh, articles, and, and Alex and I took a deep dive through in three parts th this summer and the crazy summer that it has been up until this point to get you ready for the Lionel Messi era, for the Sergio Busquets era, and now for the Jordi Alba era as the Tata Martino era starts one game most likely before. All right, that's enough for us this week on the Heron Outlet. For Alex Lindley and for Austin Roblard and for our producer, our amazing producer, Andres, I am Ian Hess. This is the Heron Outlet, and we'll see you back here this time next week.